Castle, episode number 63, for July 28th, 2009. Daughter of Botu by Yuji Foster. Hello, this is Rachel Swirsky, Podcastle's editor. A male friend of mine once found a poor little duck who had just barely managed to survive a coyote attack. Her entire family had been slain and dragged away, leaving just this one little duck. My friend took her in as a pet and built her an enclosure to protect her from coyotes, and he gave her food, and he hung out with her, and everything was good. Except, apparently, the way that male ducks court female ducks is by building them nests. And this duck decided that if my friend could build her a nest like that, then he must be the best male duck a girl could ever ask for. So she followed him around, honking flirtatiously, and made what she probably thought was a proposal of duck marriage. My friend eventually solved the problem by acquiring a couple of male ducks to be her companions. It took a while, but eventually the re-socialization stuck, and the female duck remembered that she was actually a duck, and probably didn't want to marry a human after all. Of course, things might have been different if the duck had access to magic. Daughter of Botu is written by Yuji Foster, who Podcastle listeners may recall from her short story, The Tanuki Kettle. Yuji lives in Metro Atlanta with her husband, Matthew, and her pet skunk, Hobkin. Her publication credits number over 100, and her fiction has appeared in all three Escape Artists' podcasts. Her short story collection, Returning My Sister's Face and Other Far Eastern Tales of Whimsy and Malice, is now available from Noralana Books. Daughter of Boat 2 first appeared in Realms of Fantasy. It's read for us by Diane Severson, an American-born singer who has lived in Germany for the past 16 years. Diane doesn't have her own podcast, but she's done quite a bit of reading for Starship Sofa, which you can find at starshipsofa.com. Diane is a professional singer, specializing in Baroque, medieval, and contemporary music, and you can hear some of her music at myspace.com slash Soprano, and listen to or buy her CD Silence at cdbaby.com slash dsmg. Diane says that narrating science fiction and fantasy stories for podcasts combines her two favorite things in the world, voice work and literature. Her blog is divadianes.blogspot.com. Links in this introduction are available on the web at podcastle.org. Enjoy the story! Daughter of Baitu by Yuji Foster Buddha teaches that his existence is one of suffering, and of all the Middle Kingdom, my people, the clan of Baitu, bear the greatest burden of suffering. We are fodder for all, tiger and owl, fox and man, and only those with fleet limbs, strong hearts, and good fortune survive. But Buddha also teaches that it is desire which causes suffering, and if we follow the eightfold path, we will know enlightenment and immortality, and our suffering will end. Thus, my people look to Baitu, the immortal jade rabbit, to hearten us with his example, and we pray to his moon shadow for strength. 
This I meditated upon as I nibbled my sparse meal of centipede grass. My mouth complained that the fibrous stalks were tasteless and parched, but I ignored it and advised my grumbling tummy to rejoice, for it was fortunate to have even this. My admonishments failed to persuade my belly, especially when I did not consume every last blade, but at least its protestations lessened. I gathered the final stalks together and carried them away. Beneath the earth, in the echoing corridors of our Lao Tzu, Mama crouched in the den we shared. She was still beautiful, the graceful arch of her paws, her long ears a study in elegance, and the perfect moon roundness of her face, though grief and hunger had dried her coat to a brittle mat. Eyes closed, she might have been asleep but for the flicker of her nose. Mama, I've brought you some centipede grass. I can't recommend its taste, but it's an improvement upon nothing. Her whiskers trembled, but otherwise it was as though I wasn't there. I crept to her side, offering what warmth and comfort I could. Won't you try some, Mama? It's better than the sedge grass we had two nights ago. Nene stood at the den's entrance. Aya, all you could find was centipede grass, Anying. I hadn't heard her behind me but Nene had an uncanny aptitude for treading silently. It was probably why she'd lived so long. I'm afraid so, I replied, and not very much of it, for all the distance I foraged to find it. Has Mama not stirred since I left? Nene's ragged ears drooped, and she shook her head. She came over to sniff the centipede grass. Have a mouthful, she coaxed nudging Mama with her nose. Mama's soft ears flicked at Nene's words, but she made no move to sample the grass. Nene and I exchanged worried nose touches. Anying? Come with me, she said. I think a little bark has grown on the willow tree by the ravine. Obediently, I lolloped after her, although I knew we had already gnawed the willow bear. An eeriness followed Nene through our forsaken Lao Tzu, with her paws soundless as nightfall, like chasing a spirit guide in the underworld. Once these tunnels had abounded with the prosperous bustle of my tribe, but a spate of bad fortune, an epidemic of the panting disease, a murderous band of foxes, and this endless drought had sent many upon the path to their next lives. Those who remained had pronounced this Lao Tzu, cursed and abandoned it, seeking better fortune elsewhere. I stayed because Mama could not leave, and Nene was too old to travel, so she said. Three Tzu rabbits of the clan, sharing a Lao Tzu with death. When we reached the south entrance, Nene stopped. An Ying there is great passion in you, she said. A blessing and a curse, I have always maintained, that you were born in both the year and the hour of the rabbit, but also beneath the auspice of fire. Fire rabbits are impetuous and brash. But I... She bumped me with her shoulder. Outspoken and discourteous, too. I'm sorry, Nene. I lowered my head and flattened my ears in a conciliatory manner. She nibbled my fur. I'm not angry, granddaughter. 
but you should know we feared for you, your mother and I. Even your coat is marked by fire, and it is well known that fire rabbits die young. I glanced at the plume of red-gold fur that blossomed across my side like a tongue of fire. It is why I named you Anne, to balance the fire with calmness. But your mother— Nene twitched a whisker in annoyance. Ay, ah. Uh, water rabbits are such romantics. Your mother insisted your name reflect her wishes for you, and so she named you Ying Beauty, and you have at least fulfilled that aspect of your name. I snuffled modestly. But now it is neither tranquility nor beauty which you must draw to you, but fire. A water rabbit will not withstand this drought, and even an old earth rabbit like your Nene will wither before much longer. Then what will you do? A young Tse by yourself with no Shang to marry, no one to help you raise kits, and what if the rains never come? It's only luck that has kept us from starvation until now. Even fire eventually runs out of fuel to burn. What are you saying? I have consulted your horoscope, An Ying, and your destiny is clear. You must leave the Lao Tzu. Your mother and I are no longer young, and our departure from this realm is of no great consequence. But you... I shivered. Abandon my home and desert my family? I can't leave Mama and you to die. There's no other way. It is your destiny. Destiny or no, I will find a way to save you. I pushed past her and bolted into the purple blanket of night. I ran, not caring where my paws took me, until my breath tore my throat and my heart was a frenzied dance. Panting, I slowed to a lope and stopped. I stood upon the crest of an arid hill. The sparse grass and shrubs dotting the slope were scorched husks, desolate and inedible. Overhead the moon was a fat, silver boat floating serenely upon a black river. I raised my nose to the sky and contemplated by Tu's silhouette. O oh, honorable and glorious immortal rabbit, I know I have often strayed from the eightfold path, but my intentions have always been good. Please, I must believe that there is another destiny for me than to forsake Mama and Nene to starvation. But I am only a humble Tzu, and I despair that I am too ignorant to perceive it. You teach us that the path to enlightenment is sacrifice, so I give myself to your will. Tell me to throw myself to a tiger or offer myself to a hawk, and I will do it, if only it will bring the rain. Venerable Baitu, I beg you, hear your daughter's prayer. When I had finished, the moon turned away from me. I trembled. Had I been too bold? Had I offended the jade rabbit? The sky grumbled, and I realized why the moon had darkened. Storm clouds unfurled in a widening veil across the sky, obscuring the white face. Rejoicing, I pricked my ears, hoping for another rumble of thunder. Instead, I heard something else, the beat-beat of danger, the drumbeat of strong hind legs on the earth's parched back. Who struck it? It didn't matter. 
Both warning and command it goaded my heart. Match me! Beat! Beat! Match me! Run! I ran. All else fell from me, hunger, grief, hope, and my mind emptied, for to corrupt the heart with fear is death when the earth drum fills it. I became flying hind legs, the breath of night through my fur and my surging heart. The sky fractured in a deafening crash, water poured down, and there was chaos. I burst upon a nightmare scene of fearsome monsters and splintered shadows. The stink of predator, fox, wolf, tiger assailed my nose. A demon limbed in lightning turned its long face to me. Four pillars slammed down, miraculously missing me. Violence rang in my ears, sounds distorted by the rain. I threw myself across their path, straining to outrace the wind. I did not feel teeth in my back, claws tearing my side. I was not relieved or thankful, too single-minded for such luxuries. I ran. I leaped for the sanctuary of dry hedge and prickly bush. Concealment exacted a toll of rent fur, a price I paid willingly. I sped to the familiar landscape of our Lao Tzu and skittered to a stop. Three massive juniper trees had sprung, full-grown, atop the mounded earth, which should have been our roof. They leaned, one upon another, their entwined arms a sweeping vault overhead. A human dwelling nestled between them, its rigid walls flowing like water from trunk to trunk. How could it, they, be here? And where were Mama and Nene? The panic I'd left behind, that I had outrun, caught me. My heart, filled with earth drum and now terror, failed. I had time to wonder whether Mama and Nene had escaped before the tree roots had crushed our Lao Tzu. Then I had no more thoughts. Aya, you will be soaked through. An Ying, come in out of the rain. I stirred, disoriented. Nene, did you and Mama make it outside? Foolish girl, it is not we who must go outside, but you who must come in. Get up, or must I drag my old bones into the rain to fetch you? I opened my eyes, and another shock struck my heart. Nene had become a, a, a human. She stood in the doorway of the dwelling, scowling, arms crossed. Her body was swathed in yellow and saffron silk that shimmered like sunlight skipping over a pond. A sash wrapped her waist, embroidered with flowers and dates. Her face was naked brownness, clad with creases instead of fur. But despite the strange form she wore, I knew it was Nene. She raised her arm to beckon me, as comfortable in her new shape as she'd been in her old. I scrambled up, amazed to find myself also wearing a human body. My arms were weighted by silk the color of dawn. So at first I could not find my paws, or hands, rather. A billow of vermilion tangled my legs, fastened by a red-gold sash that dangled to the ground. A tightness about my head was an elaborate arrangement of ridiculously lengthy fur bristling with what felt like rocks and sticks, which succeeded briefly in distracting me from the travesty my lovely ears had become. They were stumps! tiny and useless, I couldn't even twitch them. And the final wonder, human speech, 
with all its unrabbity terms and notions, filled my head. Unlike Nene, I was ill at ease. In the handful of steps to the door I stumbled twice, entangled in folds of silk. Finally, Nene hobbled out, complaining of the rain, although in truth the juniper canopy protected us from all but the most determined raindrops. "'I'm a human, Nene,' I wailed. "'Yes, I know,' she said, utterly matter-of-fact. "'So are you!' She half-dragged, half-led me inside, and before you amaze me with another revelation, your mother is as well. But how? Nene closed the door behind us. We are daughters of Baitu, she said, as though that explained everything. At my uncomprehending look, she scowled. We three are directly descended from the jade rabbit. It is a legacy which prompts the cosmos to favor us with human forms. I think it no favor at all but a bother. Humankind is wicked and corrupt, and I have little use for this shape. However, destiny is destiny. No one ever consults me about it. Inside, the house was simple but elegant, with a cozy sitting room containing furnishings of carved rosewood and teak. A straw mat cushioned the floor and decorated screens concealed corridors and windows. Quite sizable, like our Lao Tzu, it was meant for more than three. Mama looked up from where she reclined on a low chair by a crackling fire. She wore a garment that wrapped her arms in the paleness before a storm, and her legs in the deep indigo of twilight in summer. Her hair was piled upon her head like a cloud, Blue agate combs dangled with ornaments depicting the three phases of the moon, slender crescent, full face, and waning gibbous. She was as beautiful a human as she had been a rabbit. I moved towards her and tripped over my hem. "'I can't walk in this!' I exclaimed, kicking and floundering on the floor in a welter of silk. "'And I can't balance on these stubby feet. "'They're so tiny. "'Why aren't humans constantly toppling over?' "'Ay, ya, uh, I'm too old for this.' "'Nene pulled an oval fan from her sash and waved it. "'Stop thinking about your routine, "'your garment, as separate from yourself. "'Why are you not always bumbling over your trailing ears "'or sent sprawling by your large rabbit feet?' "'Because they are me,' I retorted, "'and only newborn kits cannot get their bodies aligned with their wills.' "'Well, Kit, your Ruchin is as much you as your pelt was. "'When we transformed, all that we were became as we now are. "'So stop thinking of your body and garments as something to vie against.' "'Dubious.' I did as Nene advised, and ceased trying to guide leg and arm, but merely thought stand and walk. To my surprise, I managed to cross the room without losing my balance or becoming snarled in my skirt. I kneeled by Mama. Mama, how are you? Her eyes passed over me, and she turned to the fire. I sagged, disappointed. What good was a new shape if every wound upon our soul remained? My broodings were interrupted by thumpings at the door. Hello, you inside. The voice was a man's, crackling with worry. My master is hurt, and we are lost. I beg you, give us shelter from the rain. 
Must destiny always knock so loudly? Nene shuffled to the door. Trailing after, I peeked from behind her. Outside, a slender young man, garbed in a torn tunic of white hemp, bowed low. Honored grandmother, he said, I am Guan Xu, humble companion and guard to the illustrious Bai Huang Kong. He indicated the man leaning heavily upon our doorframe. Bai Huang Kong had a ragged band of cloth knotted around his head. His face was pale over the ginger of his cross-collar shirt and damson overcoat. A growing splotch of wetness darkened the bandage. With a start, I recognized them. They were the monsters that had so frightened me earlier as I blundered into their midst. Not demons, but only a hunting party and their horses. Well, don't just stand dripping on our threshold, Nene said, unimpressed by the formal introductions. Come in. We don't have a stable, but you may tie your mounts to the trees. Guan Xu bowed again until I thought he must be kin to a squirrel forever bobbing its head about. We are honored by your generous hospitality. With Guan Xu's assistance, Bai Huang Kong drooped gratefully to our couch. Anying, eat some water, Nene commanded, and fetch my white pouch. It was like remembering a dream. I knew what to do, although I did not know how I could. I lifted the iron pot from its hook and set it over the flames. Then I hurried to Nene's den, demarked by a yellow screen with a prancing Lin painted upon it. Her pouch, a lumpy bag large enough to contain a piglet, lay beside her bed. Touching it gave me a momentary shock, rabbit fur without the rabbit. I hastened to bring it to her, and Nene dumped medicines and ointments from its depths. Let us see how destiny has treated you, she said, and began unwrapping the bandage from Bai Huang Kong's temple. What happened? I asked Guan Xu. He bowed, and I had the urge to push him back upright. A miracle, most certainly, honorable lady. My master was pursuing a demon hind, although we didn't know it was a demon at the time. We rode so far and fast after her, we lost our way. The rainstorm broke, half-blinding us, as she bounded over a thicket wall. My master spurred his horse to follow, but then a crimson rabbit sprang out, as though conjured from the air and flung itself across my master's path. I gasped, for of course I recognized myself, although admittedly crimson seemed a bit overstated. My master's horse reared, Guan Xu continued, throwing him, and he cracked his head on a tree. I cursed the rabbit then. What a fool I was! It had saved his life. You see, I happened to glance over the thicket my master had been preparing to leap. It opened upon tragedy, a drop-off lined with jagged rocks at the bottom. No man could have survived such a fall. Of the hind there was no sign. A thousand blessings upon that rabbit. Surely it was a good spirit. A spirit? Nene snorted. More likely a frightened rabbit scampering willy-nilly about. A faint voice joined our discussion. I do not possess your bounty of wisdom, grandmother but I'm certain it was a spirit. Despite Bai Huang Kong's weakness, his voice carried authority, the assurance of one accustomed to obedience. I suppose it told you that after you knocked your head? Nene asked. He chuckled. No, but it would have been worth the bump if it had. After my fall, 
I was too dizzy to ride. We were utterly lost. But the rabbit spirit saved us again. It marked the direction we should take with its own red fur and guided us to the tendril of smoke from your fire. It did, did it? Nene pinioned me with an arch glare. How fortunate, indeed. She administered a damp plaster to buy Huang Kong's head. The cut isn't deep, but the fall has rattled your skull. You'll wait several days to ride or travel if you care what's good for you. Also, you mustn't sleep tonight, or you might not wake tomorrow. Best if someone keeps you company. I'll gladly stay up with my master, Guan Xu said. Nene eyed him. You are swaying on your feet. You would doze off within the hour. I wouldn't. No, you rest in there. She nodded at a screen painted with cranes. Bai Huang Kong waved his hand, silencing any further protest, although lines furrowed the space between Guan Xu's eyes. Don't fret, Nene said. I'll brew some medicine, and An Ying will make sure your lord doesn't drowse. Bai Huang Kong smiled at me. I am surely blessed by the spirits. They save my life, guide us here, and now I'm to have a beautiful nurse to converse with for the whole night. I lowered my eyes, suddenly shy. I hadn't thought to become accustomed to human faces so easily. But the smoothness of Bai Huang Kong's brow, the way his mouth quirked when he spoke, I found these natural, appealing even, not caring that he had no fur or such tiny ears. Nene snorted. An Ying, if your eyelids start to droop, you'll give that Guan Xu a shake and get him up, yes? Yes, Nene. She sprinkled some herbs in the iron pot. Let that steep. Give him a cup when the water is the same color as spring moss, and another two swallows every half hour. She waved her finger at him. You drink it all, you hear? Yes, grandmother. Bai Huang Kong inclined his head, but then winced. I would swallow mud if it relieved this troublesome hammering. Good. Now my bones are old, and this night has been long. I'm off to sleep. She shuffled away to the yellow-screened room, shooing Guan Xu before her. Still bashful, I poured a cup of the moss-green tea for Bai Huang Kong. He grimaced at the taste. Why must medicine always be bitter? I suppose to encourage us to take greater care so we will not require it. Now that's a sensible answer, much better than the ramblings of my physicians. My face grew warm, and my breath quickened as though I bounded full speed down a hill. Why, I believe your grandmother's brew has quelled the hammering. So what shall we talk about? He beckoned to Mama in her chair by the fire. I don't mean to exclude you, madam. Shall we play a word game? Mama shook her head. She rose and drifted to a rain-colored screen with a black tortoise swimming across it. With a fluid bow, she disappeared behind it. I didn't mean to offend, Bai Huang Kong said. It wasn't you. Mama doesn't talk. Ever since a fox stole my baby brother, she hasn't spoken. A fox? We found my brother on our doorstep, ringed by fox prints, his throat ripped out. The fox did it for sport, you see, not hunger. Nene says Mama's voice followed my brother's soul to the underworld of Huang Jin so that she may comfort him with lullabies. 
I think a portion of her soul followed him, too. Bai Huang Kang's eyes darkened. How terrible! Double tragedy to lose a family member to a fox, and also one so young. And you three ladies live alone? Where's your father? He became ill and died not long after the fox took my brother. So much tragedy for one so lovely. Buddha teaches that this existence is one of suffering. I studied my white hands with their peculiar and useful side digit. I try to rejoice that my loved ones suffer no more. My priests would applaud your devout and philosophic outlook. I tried to smile, but couldn't. Don't be deceived. I'm a poor philosopher. Truthfully, I cannot stop myself from missing them. It's natural to grieve. I, too, have experienced a loss. He covered my hand with his. Sometimes there is no solace to be found. Where his hand touched mine, I prickled with awareness, sensitive to his radiant warmth, the thrill of skin on skin, the cool caress of silk. Was this why humans covered themselves? Because lacking fur, they were susceptible to such distracting and delicious sensations? Who, who do you grieve for? I asked. My father died last year. A hunting accident. He sighed and slipped his hand away, and I regretted my question. My stepmother blames me that I wasn't the one leading the hunt that day. In a fashion, it's because of her I was out this night. Our food stores have dwindled from this drought, and she lamented to me that the remaining meat in our larder was gamey. I hoped that an offering of fresh venison would soften her a little, maybe. You can imagine how overjoyed I was to glimpse that hind, and how eager I was to acquire her. But it was only the mockery of demons. He touched the poultice on his head. I admit, I'm a poor philosopher, too. There are times when I wish it had been me instead of my father on that terrible hunt. I despair that I'll never be the lord he was. Don't say such things. I took by Huang Kong's hand back and laced my fingers through his. Nene says that each of us has a destiny, one that cannot be escaped, and to rail at destiny is the province of madmen and fools. He regarded my hand with surprise, although he didn't pull away. Had I behaved inappropriately? But surely he had done it first. Lady Anying, I had not properly considered our situation before. Perhaps you would prefer that Guanxi sleep on the floor out here by the fire? What? Why would I want that? The poor thing would wake with a terrible bend in his neck. Otherwise, we have no chaperone to safeguard your honor. I laughed. <laughs> Are you saying I should fear for my honor with you? His eyes sparkled. As lovely as you are, I think I can manage to maintain a proper decorum. It's your reputation I'm considering. Are you not concerned about flapping tongues? Who is there to gossip to out here? The insects and birds care little about our doings. I see. So... He pulled me closer until I could feel his breath on my face. If I were to, say, steal a kiss, there would be no harm? I could have broken free, not only because he was hurt and weak, but also because there was no coercion in his touch. To keep me there required my consent. There's no need to steal something freely given. I closed the space between us.
By Huang Kong tasted of heat and smoke, strong wind and salt. The fire in me approved, and I wanted the kiss to never stop. It was by Huang Kong who broke from it, wincing. Forgive me, but that irksome hammering has resumed. Oh, I forgot your medicine. I rushed off to measure two swallows of Nene's tea. I would not have slept that night, even if Bai Tu had flown down from the moon and commanded me to. Bai Huang Kong taught me how to play Go, using crumbled bits of charcoal from the fire and leftover scraps of Guan Xu's undershirt, the origin of the makeshift bandage, as pieces and the straw mat as a board. He told me of his palace, and I told him of the quiet peace of the forest. I worried that my prattle would bore him asleep, but he listened, rapt, to my poor efforts to describe the autumn trees at twilight, dripping gold and silver in the fading light. Too soon, a blush of palest gold through the painted screens announced the dawn, and shortly after, Nene bustled in. Everyone still awake? Good, good. Bai Huang Kong astonished me by heaving himself from the couch to kneel before her. Grandmother, may I assume you are An Ying's guardian? Nene frowned. As much as she needs a guardian, I suppose. He swayed, his face losing some of the color it had gained in the night, and Nene stuck a gnarled hand out to steady him. You should lie down. You're still sick. He continued undeterred. I'm a respectable nobleman, kin to the emperor. I can provide references if you like. Nene eyed me over by Huang Kong's head. Anying, what's this all about? I spread my hands, as baffled as she. Grandmother, may I have your blessing to petition Anying's affections? Pai Huang Kong blurted. I wish to court her. I see. Nene's mouth puckered. I'd hoped she would take up with one of our clan, but no one cares about my opinion. Do as you like. I'm not foolish enough to meddle in her destiny anyway. He took this as assent, and I remained bemused at the strangeness of human ways. How to describe our courtship? I forgot the meaning of time when I was with Bai Huang Kong. We were fire meeting fire, and it seemed nothing could extinguish our fervor, not even the incessant rains. But as the moon burgeoned, so did Bai Huang Kong's strength, standing no longer brought dizziness, and the hammering in his head departed for good. While I rejoiced at his health, nevertheless, every color became less vivid to me, a match to the sky's lusterless gray. A simple pastoral life could never be the destiny of a man such as Bai Huang Kong, so I was prepared for heartbreak when he turned serious eyes to me as we strolled beneath dripping branches. An Ying, I must return home, he said. Yes. I didn't trust myself to say more. Come with me. Marry me. With that question, color returned to my world. Nene glowered at Bai Huang Kong when he announced our betrothal. But it's not our way to deny love, and once I'd assured her that I wanted this more than soft fur and whiskers, the elusive perfume of earth and grass, and the ecstasy of bounding on strong rabbit legs beneath the night sky, her protests ended. 
Mama only gazed at me with distant eyes and kissed my cheek. Come with us, I begged them. By Huang Kong says there's plenty of room. No, Nene said. Your mother and I are acquainted with that world, and we don't wish to revisit it. And besides, I'm too old to travel. But how can I leave you? Do not worry for us. Now that the rains have come, we'll be fine. I told you it was your destiny to leave us, didn't I? Oh, Nene. The lines of her face blurred in an overflow of tears. Enough of that. Here. She pressed two items into my hands. One was a round mirror of white jade, the full moon framing the silvered glass. Three rabbits of inlaid mother-of-pearl adorned the back, their leaping bodies forming an everlasting circle. The other was a little sickle-knife, the hilt a jade rabbit with ears streaming down its back. There is great virtue in these talismans. They will remind you of who you are and who you are descended from. When I looked into the mirror, reflected back was not the maiden An Ying, but the rabbit An Ying, with whiskers and pink nose. But rabbit me wore dawn-colored silk, and a copper bird and a sprig of paper apricot blossoms, my hair ornaments, stuck out behind my long ears. It was a fanciful magic, unlike the more practical one which kept my Ru Chun fresh and pristine through mud and brambles. I embraced her. Mm. Don't let by Huang Kong's world make you forget everything I've taught you. Horseback riding was a new experience, one I didn't enjoy. The bouncing gait agitated my insides, and perching so high above the ground provoked a relentless apprehension. However, I did enjoy the way my lover clasped me so securely before him as we shared a saddle and the strong legs of Bai Huang Kong and Guan Xi's steeds covered more terrain than I thought possible. Bai Huang Kong's palace was enclosed by stone walls with round doorways and stylish, vase-shaped apertures. Brick-lined walkways meandered through a garden overflowing with climbing roses, camellias, and sweet osmanthus. Inside, the floors were a mosaic of vibrantly glazed tile, and a high, double-arched ceiling soared overhead. It was more beautiful than my most lavish imaginings. In such idyllic surroundings, how could the flow of my destiny be anything but tranquil and harmonious? And yet, there was one eddy, by Huang Kong's stepmother. Mong Chong was an exquisite beauty, so glamorous, so elegant in her embroidered shen yi, her black hair glittering with jewels. The perfection of her plum-colored lips and willow-leaf-shaped eyebrows overwhelmed me, and when I saw her eyes, I gaped like the ingenue I was. They were luminous, shining brighter than any of the gems in her hair, and most remarkable of all, they were golden. "'What a charming girl,' she said her voice as refined as the rest of her. But then, I'm not that surprised. You would have to be extraordinary to have orchestrated such a prosperous match. She laughed, a scintillating ripple of sound. You're a very fortunate girl indeed. Well, good for you. I cannot fault anyone for appreciating the finer things and wanting to better her character.
I bowed. Thank you, ma'am. I've always striven to improve myself. Bai Huang Kong stiffened as though I'd committed some grievous impropriety, but Meng Xiaochun only laughed more. Later, I asked Bai Huang Kong to explain my blunder, and his lips tightened. Never mind. Only try to watch what you say. We're no longer in the forest, and my reputation as well as yours may be blackened by a thoughtless remark. Distressed that my ignorance had caused him to lose face, I resolved to take greater care. But in no time at all I bungled again. Bai Huang Kong surveyed me one morning, lines of displeasure crinkling his eyes. Must you always wear that ruchun? Don't you like it? I asked, astonished. It's fine, but you have closets brimming with rich silks and expensive brocades. Why not put on something different? But I like my ru chun, I said. Why do I need anything else? His mouth fell open, then snapped shut. Reluctant to flaunt new clothes? You are a most singular woman, An Ying. Nevertheless, while your unassuming sensibilities are laudable, people are talking. Li Fu said to me the other day, It's just as well your wife's so fond of that pink ru chun. What man's fortunes would be enough to maintain a second wardrobe the size of your stepmother's? I blinked. Who? It doesn't matter. My point is, it's unbecoming for my bride to be seen so often in the same garment. I didn't realize. Of course, I'll do as you suggest. Initially, I pined for my ru chen, that I parade about in amber shao chun robes, peach jen skirts, burgundy e jackets, and gauzy sea-green sashes. So I folded my ru chun away into a cedar chest, and after a while the perpetual sense of having misplaced something lessened. Our wedding was a sumptuous affair with towers of sophisticated dishes for me to sample. I regretted the disappointment in the head cook's face when I declined a serving of crackling duck, as well as a slice of roast pork, but the thought of eating flesh curdled my stomach. At least his wounded expression changed to smiles when I praised his pan-fried dumplings and devoured two whole moon cakes, getting my hands sticky with sweet bean paste. That night, Bai Huang Kong reverently divested me of my wedding zhuzhu, peeling away the heavy brocade embroidered with phoenixes as though I were a frail blossom that must be coaxed to bloom. In his arms, my qualms and uncertainties dissolved like sugar in the rain. If before we had been a fire, now we rivaled the sun. For such bliss I would withstand a hundred Meng Shaochuns, adorn myself in nettles, and learn to chirp like a cricket. My status among Bai Huang Kong's people altered in small and peculiar ways. Men wouldn't exchange more than the most cursory of phrases with me, refusing to meet my eyes and grasping at the least excuse to escape my presence. Yet they scrutinized me so intently from a safe distance. I feared I would leave a trail of calamities such a distraction I posed. As for the women, they began to emulate me. If I wore lavender and topaz silk one day, the next it seemed I waded through a field of rustling lavender and topaz. 
It's most disconcerting, I commented to Guan Xu as I waited for Bai Huang Kong to return from a meeting with some dignitaries. Why do they do that? They hope that by echoing you, some of your beauty will bounce onto them. I giggled. How foolish! I enjoyed Guan Xi's company, not only because he was less a stranger, but he was perhaps the only man whose demeanor towards me hadn't changed. Why, next to Meng Shaochen, I am as common and grubby as a mud-splattered stick. Why don't they imitate her? He bowed. If you'll pardon my forthright words, it is inner beauty as well as outward appearance, the court ladies admire. My master's stepmother possesses a fearsome beauty, but it is a splendor to quail before rather than to covet, while you are a delicate orchid, shy and winsome. Such beauty even a blind man would appreciate. I was taken aback, both at his oblique criticism of Meng Shaochen as well as of his appraisal of me. But by Huang Kong's arrival saved me from thinking of a response. When he saw us, the corners of his mouth pulled down. What is it? I asked. What's the matter? There's trouble to the south, he said. Barbarian raiders. My borders are guarded by mountains and air, but less fortunate Hao Fei Gong wishes to drive them off before they ravage more than a few peasant villages. I'm taking a garrison to join him in a concerted strike. You're leaving? I must. Otherwise, I lose face with Hao Fei Gong. He raised a hand to cup my chin. Don't look so bleak. If the rains persist, we may flood them out, and I'll be back before the osmanthus blossoms fade. Then I'll pray every day for rain. The next morning... He rode away at the head of a multitude of soldiers bristling with spears and bows, taking Guan Xi with him so I had no one at all to talk to. I'm ashamed to admit that as soon as the clatter of their departure faded, I hid myself away, even taking my meals in solitude. While I didn't concur with Guan Xi's assessment of delicate orchid, Shai was accurate. The scrutiny of my husband's people flustered me, what I wore, what I said, how I behaved, and I did not fully understand the standards by which they judged me. Without Bai Huang Kong to bolster my nerve, I preferred cheerless isolation. Lacking the impetus of agenda or husband to accommodate, I reverted from a daylight routine to the nighttime habits of a rabbit. I explored the garden by starshine, nibbling the occasional rose petal or violet with delight meditated upon Bai Tu's shadow as the moon wheeled across the sky, and admired my reflection in the moon mirror. Vanity notwithstanding, the soft-furred visage in the glass comforted me, made me feel less alone. Wondrously evening, a wondrous revelation bolstered my spirits and made the hours less weighty. I determined that the swelling of my belly was not due to an overindulgence of rich food, but budding new life. Although I became even more impatient for Bai Huang Kong's return, my nights passed in glorious musings. What would the baby be like? Would our child possess Bai Huang Kong's expressive eyes? Be clever like Ne Ne? Or beautiful like Mama? And how would the child's rabbit heritage manifest? On a rain-filled day, at the end of a rain-filled week, I awakened to an excited ruckus. Banners and horses had been sighted, 
spy Huang Kong was coming home. I dressed in awkward haste and rushed to greet him, arriving as my husband rode through the palace gates, mud-splattered and weary, but also triumphant. We executed a well-devised plan with prodigious results, he declared to the cheering throng, lured them to a drained gorge and released the river upon them, swept those barbarians back to hell. When his eyes lit upon me, they filled with joy, and I sped to his side. But then they darkened, and I slowed my steps, suddenly timid. It had been a long while since I'd been among so many people. Welcome home, my husband. I moved to embrace him, but he raised a hand. I'm caked in mud and dirt from the road. It doesn't bother me. Still, perhaps you would be so gracious as to allow me time to see to my men and cleanse away the mud. I'd be obliged if you could wait for me in our chambers. Oh, but... Anying, please do as I ask. Crestfallen, I took myself away, but I soon cheered up. The dictates of human society were complex and baffling. I'd undoubtedly violated some silly custom involving muddy receptions, but soon we would share in the joyous anticipation of our child's birth. The moon had risen before I heard his footsteps. As soon as he strode in, I ran to press his hand through azure silk to my distended belly. By Hong Kong, isn't it wonderful? I babbled, too jubilant for restraint. I worried you wouldn't return before his birth. It will be a son, I'm sure of it. Feel how he leaps. But his reaction wasn't as I expected. He yanked his hand away. I tried not to look as hurt as I felt. I thought you'd be pleased. He studied me with haggard eyes. I've tried to disregard Meng Shaochen's insinuations, although it was difficult when you persisted in flirting with my servant. Flirting? You mean with Guan Xu? We only talked. But now what am I to think? He ignored my protests. I come back to scandalized recriminations that you secluded yourself in my absence, only emerging at night like a thief. And now this. I had to endure pointing fingers and smirks behind my back the whole day, not the homecoming I'd visualized, I assure you. He'd never before spoken so harshly to me. By Huang Kong, I believed your eagerness in the forest was a testament of your love, that you never protested or pushed me away, leaving it to me to curb our ardor, out of innocence and trust. You wanted me to push you away? In reality, you must have been quite desperate to ensnare me. How must you have laughed at my credulity? But now the truth is out. I don't understand. He grabbed the borders of my shun and yanked the blue silk taut against my body. This child comes too early to be mine. You hid it cunningly before, or perhaps I was too smitten to notice. But you've misplayed yourself. Sequestering yourself has only drawn attention to how gravid you are. In a rush, I understood. Oh, by Hong Kong, I should have told you before, but I thought... I thought... Oh, I don't know what I thought. Told me what? That you are an opportunistic, scheming seductress? His words struck me like blades. No, that I'm a rabbit. Until the night you came to me, I ran on four paws and ate grass and slept in a den beneath the earth. 
"'It was I who ran across your path and startled your horse. "'It was my fur torn by the brambles which led you to our fire. "'I, I think it's because I'm a rabbit that our son quickens with such haste. "'Be assured, though, he is yours.' He stared at me for several long heartbeats. Well, that's inventive, at least. But I don't think it will mollify the people counting on their fingers. Or do you expect the baby to have two furred ears and gnaw on roots? He thrust me away. What fool do you take me for? I caught myself on the bed. Why are you so determined to despise me? I cried. You condemn me without even the opportunity you allow a thief to prove his innocence. When our son is born, he will take after you and none other. Why wait until then, he snapped. Although, from the look of you, I wouldn't be surprised if you dropped your brat tomorrow. I'll just ask the magistrate whether it's possible it could be mine, given that not three months have passed since the cursed day we met. It will be convenient. I'll present my question at the same time I petition him to divorce us. Divorce? I gasped. At least wait until he's born to see. I suppose it would be uncivilized to dump you in the street as you are. But I'd be grateful if you took yourself to the outer courtyard. I don't want you polluting my chambers with your presence. With those hateful words he stormed out. I burst into tears. Before I could compose myself or sort my thoughts, a trio of women arrived. They hefted my cedar chest and ushered it and me, still sobbing, to a mean little room with a slit for a window. Servants' quarters. For comfort, I had a single lantern and a straw mat on the floor. I huddled on the thin mat, too stupefied to even light the lantern. The night passed in a haze of tears. Waking and sleeping were the same, I wept, eyes opened or closed, and dreamed of sorrow. Morning arrived as jabbing fingers of sunlight through the window. My eyes were tear-crusted and hot, my face greasy with sweat, although I shivered in the dank air. I squinted, shielding my eyes with my hand, and I saw I'd slept after all. The window faced west. It was discourteous sunset that beset me, not the rudeness of dawn. A needle of pain ran through me. Blue silk adhered to my skin as I heaved myself up and away from the noisome sun. Another pain followed the first, not a needle this time, but a nail, and I cried out. The babe was coming, and I was alone. In my anguish I knew only desperation. Oh, nay, nay, this is not how my son should arrive. You should be here to press your warm side against mine and to ease me with the birthing tales of our clan. My son should be born surrounded by the scent of soft fur and cool earth. I should have Mama's shoulder to rest my head on, her beautiful ears fluttering my whiskers like when I was a kit. Please help me, nay, nay. Mama, I can't do this by myself. The door swung open. Had my family miraculously heard my pleas and come? But the waning light revealed the last person I wanted or expected, Meng Shao Chun. She spoke not one word of greeting, only crossed to the lantern and lit it. 
By its flame she stood, resplendent in a scarlet chanye, and scrutinized me. Another pain lanced through me, and I folded my body tight, fighting not to scream. It was an instinctive struggle to suffer in silence and not invite a predator's interest. As though I summoned peril with my thoughts, I scented fox. Delirium born of pain and sickness thickened the air with a stench of terror, violence, and death. I blinked my streaming eyes and gasped. Mang Shaochen had transformed from a beautiful woman into a slavering vixen, yellow eyes aglow and sharp teeth glistening. The fox bent over me, its panting breath hot and fetid, eager to devour the newborn kit I labored to birth. I screamed, foolish human response, and the vision cleared, but the fox scent hung in the air. Mang Shaochen tugged at my Shan Jin, loosening it and uncovering my legs. Her eyes glinted, the lantern's flame turning them molten and flat. You're a fox, I blurted. She smiled, bearing pointed white teeth. Very true, she said. Most perceptive of you, little rabbit. My eyes widened. Oh, don't worry. Your pretense is quite good. I'd never have guessed had not Bai Huang Kong confided in me. And you needn't look so stricken. He didn't know he was betraying you. He still has a bit of softness for you. Isn't that sweet? He begged me to tend you during your labor and told me how he feared you might be sick in the mind. <laughs> she cackled a terrible barking call. I froze. I must not move, must not stir so much as a whisker, and maybe the fox would overlook me. Don't worry, little rabbit, my teeth aren't for your throat, although I do owe you for your bothersome rescue. I'll content myself by killing your son. Can't have a little half-rabbit heir hopping about, not when I'm so close to inheriting it all. Pain skewered me. I only shivered, but I couldn't stop the hot wetness that spilled from me, darkening the straw. My babe would die as soon as he was born, and I could do nothing. "'helpless as every mother is in the pangs of childbirth. "'My body bowed, a gateway of agony, "'expelling my son into the world. "'He arrived in a rush of blood and despair. "'Mang Shaochen took him before I even had the chance to hold him, "'severing the umbilical cord with her white teeth. "'No!' "'I struggled to raise myself, but she easily pushed me back. "'She clasped him like a doll, "'untroubled by birth fluids upon her shenyi. Perhaps she'd worn scarlet to mask the blood. I'll tell by Hong Kong you're a fox, I panted. Even if he doesn't believe me, a part of him will be vigilant. I do not think you will. She fixed me with burning, golden eyes, predator's eyes to paralyze a trembling rabbit. I couldn't blink, couldn't move, couldn't scream. Mesmerized by those flickering orbs, I was frozen waiting for teeth to snap shut around my throat. The mewling of a newborn rabbit called me back. No, not a rabbit, a human. My son. I roused, stumpy ears straining. All was silence. I was alone. I dragged myself from the mat, shivering, aching and weak. My fingers were half-numb stubs as I fumbled with the cedar chest's latch. I wrenched it open and pulled out my ruchun, wrapping it around me. 
my trembling lessened and a thread of vigor warmed me to think that once I'd railed against my Ruchun. I knotted the red-gold sash, tucking the moon mirror and sickle knife into its folds. Staggering from my exile, I scented fox in the corridor. Instinct clamored at me to turn tail. I didn't heed it. The fox stink led me through the outer courtyard and into the palace, down jade-tiled walkways, until I came to the chambers I'd shared with Bai Huang Kong. Within, the curdling tang of blood masked the stench of fox. A still shape lay on the bed, pale and silent. I knew what I'd find, but I crept there anyway. He was so tiny, so helpless. His throat had been opened by razor teeth and his blood had poured upon satin and silk. I lifted him, rocking him to my breast. I would have given him my voice, sung lullabies to him in Huan Chin, but he'd never heard me sing, never heard me croon endearments. How would he know to be comforted? Oh, my son, my kit, this existence is full of suffering. Let me rejoice that your time here was so brief. We were interrupted by rushing feet. Meng Shaochen hastened in with Bai Huang Kong behind her. They halted abruptly when they saw me, and I didn't wonder. I must have looked a sight, blood smearing my root chin, and my face twisted with grief. We're too late, Meng Shaochen cried. It's as I feared. Her madness has driven her to murder her own baby. I laid my son on the bed. His empty, lifeless body reminded me of another terrible night and another stolen child. In a burst of insight, I knew that the same fox who'd slaughtered my son had also killed my brother. I am not the murderess, I said, marveling at the calm of my voice. See, Nene, you named me well, after all. You murdered my son, Meng Shaochen, as you intend to murder my husband, as you would have murdered him if I hadn't dashed across his path. Mad woman! She thinks she's a rabbit, Meng Shaochen said. I walked, slowly but steadily, to the pair by the door. I am a rabbit, descended from Bai Tu. I pulled the moon mirror from my sash and turned its fanciful magic upon Meng Shaochen. Just as you are a fox, descended from malice. Surprise, shock, and comprehension chased across by Huang Kong's face. I knew what he saw in the mirror, a fox in Meng Shaochen's Shen Yi. He saw her as she was, scheming foxwoman, bloodthirsty Hu Li Jin. The mirror revealed her true nature as surely as it did mine. She knocked the mirror from my hand. Preposterous, she snarled. Some trick! I caught a fold of her Shen Yi and drew the silver moon knife. Is this also a trick? I slashed away a panel of scarlet silk. She shrieked, and instead of a length of silk, I gripped a severed foxtail. I hadn't fully understood what Nene told me before, but I did now. We could take off our silks, fox and rabbit, but they were as much a part of us as our skins, and, unlike me, Meng Shaochen was an adept shape-changer, modifying her garments from day to day to conform to the dictates of fashion. I flung the severed foxtail down. 
That's for my brother, whom you stole from our Lao Tzu as my mother slept. Don't let her hurt me, she whined, casting pleading eyes at Bai Huang Kong. I thought only to protect you, my darling stepson. My husband stiffened, eyes unfocused and face slack. The same stepson you tried to lead to his death? I recalled the thick scent of fox that night, the same fox stink I smelled now. You were that dear, Huli Jin. Did you also lure by Huang Kong's father over a drop-off? I think you did. She snarled. Clever rabbit, but not that clever. She fixed me with her golden, fiery eyes, confident she could snare me again. Weak rabbit, easy prey. But I was not a weak rabbit. I was a fire rabbit, and my soul burned hotter and brighter than the feeble glints of her eyes. I plunged the knife into her chest, and it sank to its hilt in her black heart. Even a rabbit will bite if you corner her. I yanked the knife free, and blood fountained over my hands. Mang Shaochen sank to her knees. Fur bloomed on her face, her hands, and pointed ears sprouted through her hair. She crumpled, and the unmistakable body of a fox lay bleeding on the tile. Spell broken, by Huang Kong startled awake. My stepmother, a fox, he exclaimed. And all this time we never suspected. Who knows what other animals might masquerade among you, I said, my voice leaden. Your wife might even be a rabbit. He turned to me stricken. I'm so sorry, An Ying, so sorry for doubting you. I met his eyes, and my heart ached. I longed to go to him, to rest my head on his chest and let all the ugliness that transpired between us be erased in the security of his arms. Then I remembered my son's piteous body. Were he and my brother together in Huang Qin, comforting each other while Mama sang to them? Your world is too complicated, too cruel for me, I said. Even love is treacherous. You guard your hearts, wary of your affections. I thought once that my people bore the greatest burden of suffering, but I see now I was mistaken. My husband, you are sky and wind and rain to me, but I cannot bear the uncertainty of your love, always fearing it might be snatched away. Love is not a gift to be discarded, nor should it be held out as a goad or reward. Bai Huang Kong buried his face in his hands. I bent to retrieve my mirror and walked away. I padded barefoot over glazed tile, so much colder than grass and earth, passed beneath the double-arched ceiling, so much smaller than the sky, and strode into the garden, I mourned for the enslaved flowers, bullied and coaxed to conform to another's criterion of beauty. Slipping free of the stone walls, I wondered how I'd ever seen them as anything but an obstacle to the wind. The moon was bright and full, by Tu's shadow clear. I raised my arms in wordless prayer, and the silvery light cleansed me, washing the blood and anguish and grief away. No longer a human maiden in a silk ruchen, but a daughter of Bai Tu once more. Sleek fur, soft ears, 
and busy nose. I stood on my hind legs and gave thanks to the moon. Buddha teaches that suffering ends when desire and craving are no more. All I had to do was renounce my heart's desire. At the thud of footsteps at my back, I swiveled, poised to fly. An Ying, Bai Huang Kong called. An Ying! He sprinted to me, but I'd made my choice. I dropped to all fours and bounded away. Tim Pratt's Bottom Feeding was episode number 55 about a grieving man's pursuit of a legendary, even mythological, catfish. Most listeners enjoyed the story, but some were perplexed or annoyed by the ending. On the board, Internalogic said, I did not like how the ending was handled, although I can recognize that it was intentional, adding that the abruptness of the ending was annoying and even slightly angering. Later, though, in another post, after pondering the story a bit more, Internalogic writes, Still, it's left deliciously and irritatingly vague. What caused her eyes to widen in shock? Something specifically shocking about the narrator? That's my favorite. Or some general knowledge she has now gained about whomever she happens to look upon? To discern the soul of another would be a shocking experience. But what has she seen? On the blog, Greg said, Again, I am reminded of why I love Tim Pratt's short fiction so damn much, adding the ending is... One that gives you the twist and then ends without belaboring the twist, really. Easy Target said, Beautifully crafted and read story. The ending has been leaving me wondering, angry, satisfied. Yep, all three simultaneously, ever since I listened to it. Now to my gripe. I share an apartment with seven catfish, and they would be horrified to hear the description of their order's lifestyle. Just personally, I agree with Easy Target. Nearly a dozen catfish live in my house, most of them quite small, and not one of them eats excrement, though the Placostomus sure makes quite a bit of it. Anyone who's kept plecos knows what I'm talking about. So I'll quote the rest of Easy Target's post. So, by way of a counterpoint, some siloriforms stay small, are colorful, remorselessly active, have beautiful, flowing, sensitive barbels, prefer fish food to poop, and like to cuddle up in groups. Okay, granted, there are catfish, and then there are catfish. My other two are rather larger, more ornery, but still prefer a slice of zucchini or an algae wafer over, say, slower tank mates, returned memories, or other debris. Speaking for myself again, I don't know too many salmon that eat hazelnuts filled with knowledge and wisdom either, and obviously such stories aren't meant to be realistic. But when you keep catfish, you discover not only that actually catfish won't eat just anything at all, but they're also very charming fish. Got thoughts about the story? Come on over to forum.escapearts.info and tell us about it. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Barbara Kingsolver said, People's dreams are made out of what they do all day. The same way a dog that runs after rabbits will dream of rabbits. It's what you do that makes your soul, not the other way around.